0: I was thinking the other day, this is the 31st time I have preached on Easter. I keep coming back to the same passages over and over again. (laughs) Now, I will say, today is a little bit different. I was downstairs early this morning, I heard someone walking down the hallway and they were whistling a tune and it took me a second to figure out what they were whistling, it sounded familiar but it sounded out of place and then it hit me, what they were whistling was, I'm dreaming of a white Easter, <laughs> I'm not kidding you, I'm trying to remember how many white Easter's I've had and I, this is one of the first and I'm looking out the back windows and it is still snowing. When we come together on Easter, we're thinking about how Easter gives us hope for eternal life. it It is the big thing that is about this day. Is that because Jesus is risen, we have life eternal. When we die, that's not the end. And quite frankly, it is one of the most profoundly hopeful things any of us can ever imagine. If you have people... Which I would assume all of us do in your life who have died, to know that that's not the end gives hope to keep on living, gives hope in grief and pain and loss. And this day proclaims that when we die, for those who are surrendered to Christ, who trust in Christ, we live. And we will live with him eternally. It is, it is an awesome promise. But the thing that I'm coming to discover is, for myself at least, I won't speak for you, but for myself is that I'm learning more and more, I'm, I'm thinking more and more, not only about Easter's implications for some day, But Easter's implications for this day. And that thought was forefront in my mind as I read once again and reread and read again this passage from John 20. When you look at this passage, it's amazing how much detail John gives us. In this very brief section, we know that it is not yet light, Mary goes to the tomb. Probably some other women with her, but John just mentions Mary. And when she gets there, the stone is not in front of the of this tomb any longer. And it doesn't appear from John's description that the stone was just rolled away. It was, it was intended to be rolled in this the little groove. And it was intended to be rolled in and out because a tomb isn't just for one person. You know you put this is for the family, and so you needed to get back in there again, so it could it, it was hard to roll the stone, but not impossible but john 's description seems to be that the stone something happened, maybe something violent happened the stone 's no longer in the groove. it is now removed, set aside, and Mary get, is all realizes something has happened here, and she takes off and runs and tells Peter and John. And John's description is so fascinating to me, and I haven't yet quite figured out exactly why he gives us some of these details. But he is in better shape than Peter. I've always pictured that. I don't know why. I've always thought John was in better shape than Peter. Or at least more athletic. I don't know which it is. One of the two. But he gets there first. And John's writing, so he wants us to, I don't know, he wants to make sure we know he's in better shape than Peter. So he says, you know, I got there before he did. But he doesn't go in for some reason. We know that when Peter arrives, of course, you would expect nothing else from impetuous Peter. He gets there, I'm going in. And he ducks into the tomb, and then John follows him. And John gives us the detail that the grave clothes are there. The body is not. I don't know what went through their mind when they saw those. Maybe they, well, you know, Mary's response we find out later is that someone came and took Jesus' body out, robbed a grave. Which was a problem in that culture. In fact, grave robbery was such an issue that um, Emperor Claudius made a, an edict that uh, the death penalty was given to people who robbed graves. Uh, trying to make a deterrent of this. People would go in, as often people were buried with valuables. And sometimes people just wanted to do crazy things. But it was a problem. So maybe that was their first thought. And then they had to stop and say, no, wait a second. If someone robbed Jesus' body, why would they leave the grave clothes? I mean, you, you see this happening one of two ways. Either you're in a hurry, so you reach in, you grab the body and you run. And you worry about getting the grave clothes off later. Or if you do take the time to take off the grave clothes... You're probably not going to fold them up real neatly. And you see the guys in there, hang on before we go, let's fold this right. <laughs> they don't see that happening. And if anything, they'd just be strewn around the floor. Not folded neatly as John just tells us. And it's that fact that jumped out at me as I reread this passage. Why would John tell us that the grave clothes were there and folded, lying neatly there in a the sack? What, would, what, what possible point could that give to us? And, and I don't know exactly, but I think, I think he's trying to help us understand that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. It isn't the case of his spirit rose and his body is still there. Jesus rose bodily from the grave. That's the importance of him dying on Friday. There are people through the ages who have said, "Well, he didn't really die." And that's how he rose. That's why the creeds are so clear to state, he died. He was buried. He descended into the place of the dead. It was done. And so he comes to Sunday morning, and John and Peter go in, and they see the grave clothes. The body is gone. It's not just a spiritual resurrection, it is a bodily, physical resurrection. And the more I pondered that, the more I realized that that is setting everything up for what is to come in the new creation and the new heaven, the new earth. This is the beginning of God restoring, redeeming all that he has made. Human, nature, everything about his creation. God is restoring it, redeeming it. And it begins with Christ being bodily raised. Because we do not believe, as some do, that the material body is evil and spirit is good. We believe that all God has made is good. And someday when, when Christ ushers in his kingdom and we experience the new heaven and the new earth, somehow we will, we will live in bodies, probably something like the resurrected body of Jesus. God cares about the physical world. We, do not, we are not resurrected just as spiritual beings. And that has bearing on how we live now. Because if, that's what the, if the new creation and a new earth is not a start over, God doesn't get, isn't going to get to the point when the kingdom we ushered in and say, okay, I'm junking all of that because it didn't work. Let's start over. Rather, the resurrection of Jesus tells us in his bodily resurrection that Christ is redeeming what he has made. What he has made is good. We twisted it. We've skewed it. We've marred it. Our sin has corrupted it. But beginning with the resurrection of Christ, God is redeeming all that he has made. And that includes you and me and this world in which we live. Because the resurrection is not just spiritual, but it is physical too. I think it has a bearing on how we view the material world now. That what we do about creation matters. It's important. This is not, God didn't create this world to throw it away. In the resurrection, we know that God is beginning the process of redeeming his world, redeeming his creation, and everything that we do as a part of managing and stewarding his creation is moving us toward that new creation. In Genesis chapter 1, after God creates the world and creates human beings, he says to them, he places them in the world, he says, now I want you to take care of it. We haven't done a very good job of that. But as people of the resurrection, we understand that we have this great privilege of taking care of what God has made. It's not a burden imposed upon us. It is a a gift that God has given us. And that has implications for things like beauty and nature. When you look at these flowers, and and you If you're just a pragmatist, you say, well, why mess with flowers? But the reality is God's creation, his beauty inspires us. And it is good. I think it's interesting how Tolkien creates, how he he describes Middle Earth in his his Lord of the Rings books. And, And when you watch the movies, you see it even more graphically. What, has, what evil has done is to destroy everything. Evil never leads to beauty, no matter how we want to paint it. It always leads to destruction and abuse. But resurrection leads to life and beauty and creation. George MacDonald said one of the things that, that kept him from embracing the faith was that he felt like he might have to give up his his love of beauty and god's creation but once he embraced faith and he understood it he began to realize that god is the god of beauty and jesus is the lord of beautiful things and embracing the resurrection and embracing christ is embracing all of the beauty that god has created all of the ways in which we are inspired by art and by creation I mean, all the ways in which we create it's a part of being resurrection people And as we think about being think about this day and we think about Easter and we think about celebrating the resurrection it it puts within us this new joy to care to steward what God has made in preparation for celebrating what God has made when Jesus establishes the fullness of his kingdom. But that beauty is not just about the creation, it's about people as well. Because resurrection speaks not just to the creation of the world, it speaks to the way human beings interact with each other. And what really accomplishes good What really accomplishes things in this world. It is the resurrection. That that gives us the impetus. To care about things like justice. To care about people. Who are in need. About people who are on the outsides. Of the power structures of the world. We know that. We know that the power structures of the world put Jesus on the cross. We know that it was injustice for Jesus to be on the cross. It is the resurrection that tells us in the end, injustice doesn't win. What wins is resurrection and life. And the power of Christ. And we live in a world in which. The power structures seem to have every advantage. We see it all the time. The people who have influence. The people who have power. The people who have wealth. The people who have all the things that. That deep inside we might want. Get things done. The cross. And the empty tomb tells us that it is resurrection, it is God who gets things done. And it is an impetus for caring about justice in the world. It is our motivation, it's our hope. You N.T. Know, Wright talks about how we could, we could cope with the world and people could cope with the world in which the disciples just sort of imagined resurrection. Resurrection. But if this thing is really true, then everything is turned upside down. And all the ways in which we think things get done in the world, and all the ways in which we think things get accomplished in the world, fall apart. He goes on to say that's probably why the Sadducees were opposed to resurrection. The whole idea of resurrection, because if God can bring someone from death to life, then the world is going to be turned upside down. And people who believe in the world being turned upside down and people who believe in the resurrection get involved in the things of God in this world to bring about transformation and change. And this is what God is calling us to. This is the joy we have of seeing, being people who bring transformation in the world because we believe in resurrection. It's a great joy. Philip Bianchi says he was in church one Sunday visiting a church and the the pastor was talking about the story of Jesus and sitting in the temple watching people come putting money into the offering. And he watched... People who had great wealth put in pretty large sums of money. And then you saw a a widow come and put in her only two coins. And Jesus said, she's put in more than the others. And, And the pastor said, it's all, I've always wondered this story. Why does Jesus just use her as a model for what it means to give instead of doing something about her poverty, why doesn't he should start a, a program about poverty? He should start some kind of, of systematic way of eliminating it. And he doesn't. And she said, I've always wondered why. She said, I think maybe it's because God puts the task of justice in our hands. He gives us the joy of being agents for justice in this world. And Yancy says, I remembered in that moment hearing Gary Hogan, who who's the founder of International Justice Mission, say God's plan for justice in the world is us, his people, and there is no plan B. And people who believe in a resurrection believe in justice because we believe that there is more than what the eye sees. We believe that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And we believe that what we do makes a difference, even if we don't see it all the time. And it's not something new that is just God decided, well, when Jesus comes, we'll start thinking differently. This is exactly what the prophet Micah says in the passage we read earlier. What does the Lord require of you, O Israel? To act justly and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. It's always been the way of God's people. And now, as people of the resurrection, we have even more hope that what we do in this world makes a difference. There's a church in northern India that Mark Laberton talks about called the Rural Presbyterian Church. And they work primarily with the Dalit people, the untouchables. And despite the fact that the caste system is technically illegal in India, it is still a part of life there. And it is most devastating and most crushing to the people who are at the bottom of that culture, that society, the untouchables. And this church in this area primarily is reaching those people. And, and Laberton says there is, a, there is a law in India that says if you're born as an untouchable, you have to be given a derogatory name. So they give them names that mean things like dumb and stupid and ugly and ignorant. But when they come to faith, one of the first things they do is stand them all in front of the church and rename them. Beautiful. Valuable, loved, worthy, precious. Why can they do that? Because in the risen Christ, we are no longer who people think we are. And the world is no longer what it appears to be. We have hope for something else, something that's trans- that makes transformation possible. Because Christ is risen. And all of the power structures of the world are defeated. Because Christ is risen. And at the heart of all of that Christ does is, the, is God's plan for addressing evil and sin. And that's love. When you look at the cross. And the fact that it was the love of Christ that caused him to go to the cross, to willingly surrender himself to the cross. You have to look at that and you and you say with Paul as he talks to the first Corinthians that to most people that looks like foolishness. It's losing. And I don't think the disciples left the left on Friday and said, boy, I can't wait till Sunday. Are they going to be surprised? The disciples walked away saying, it's over. This whole love experiment failed. It didn't work. Jesus is dead. And then, Sunday morning, a whole new perspective comes to them. Love really does conquer evil. It's hard for us to get that into our minds because it's so ingrained in us that love is losing when it, because it's vulnerable and it's risky. And we make attempts at it. And we try our best, I think, often at it. But something in the back of our minds says, you need more than that. People are going to take advantage of you if you love, and it's true. You can can lose a lot if you love, and that's true. Honestly, love is a huge risk. It means putting yourself out there. It means being willing to be rejected. And yet that is the way of Christ. And the most awesome thing is that because Christ is risen, we know love wins. It is the answer to evil and sin because of Christ. And that means that relationships matter. It means that how we treat one another matters. It means that even when people don't treat us the way we want them to, how we respond to them matters. And in the grace of Christ, who is risen from the dead, love accomplishes more than we could dream or imagine. We don't always see it, but it's happening. Jesus says, John tells us that in Chapter 13, that when the disciples were meeting with Jesus in the upper room just a few hours before he's arrested, John begins that section by saying, Jesus, knowing He had come from the Father and was going back to the Father, now showed his disciples the full extent of his love. And he humbled himself and took a basin of water and a towel, and he washed their feet. And then he says to them, do you understand what I've done for you? I'm not sure they do. But he says, what I've done for you, I want you to do for each other because here is the reality of my kingdom. I've loved you. You love each other. And everyone in the world will know that you're my disciples. You are the disciples of the risen Christ because you love each other. And in the resurrection, we, are, we come face to face with the reality that love accomplishes more than we could dream or imagine. And God fills us with his love so that we can share that love and it makes a difference. The resurrection means that what we do now is not in vain. The things that we accomplish for the kingdom now matter. And again, we may not understand all the ways in which God is going to use what we do. But because Christ is risen, we know that what we do in his name makes a difference. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives this great discourse about the resurrection. When you get to the end of this, this great theological discussion, you would expect him to say, now prepare yourselves to to go to heaven and to live eternally. But instead, he says, therefore, your labor is not in vain. Everything you do for the kingdom, because Christ has risen, has meaning and purpose. And we celebrate that truth. When John steps into the tomb, he says that he saw and he believed. We don't know exactly what he saw. Neither one of those verbs has an object. He just says he saw, he believed. And there are all kinds of theories about what he saw and what he believed. Because they were just talking about the grave clothes, it seems to me that what he saw was the grave clothes. And something about those empty grave clothes folded there on the bench caused him to say something has happened here that I can't explain and in the ensuing hours and days and weeks and months and years it becomes clear to him that the resurrection changes everything not just for the day to come but for how he lives his life every moment And the same is true with you and me. In one of his books, N.T. Wright tells a story of being in a taxi cab in downtown London, stuck in traffic one day. As they were sitting there in the traffic, the taxi driver was engaging the conversation. And he could tell that uh, Wright was a bishop by the clothes he was wearing. And the guys began to talk to him about some of the things that the Anglican church was wrestling with in that moment. Uh, some, some difficulties about social issues and, and just the ways in which the church was going to operate. And, and uh, he said, you know, the church is having a hard time, isn't it? And Wright said, yeah, we are having a hard time. And then in the midst of that conversation, he says, there was this moment that I will never forget. See, so the taxi driver turned around and looked at me. He said, remember, we were stuck in traffic. We weren't, he wasn't driving. We were just sitting. As he turned and he looked at me, and he said, well, he said, this is how I view it. This is what I always say. If God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, then everything else is basically rock and roll. And Wright says, I, "I had a divine moment right there," and he said, I, "I've continued to think about that for years." And it doesn't mean that because Christ has risen, nothing matters. What it means is because Christ has risen, everything matters. Everything's important. Everything we are and everything we do has meaning and purpose because Christ is risen. And God wants to use us as agents of his kingdom to share his grace and his love and his mercy. He wants to fill us with life and to be agents of life in this world of darkness and death and evil and sin. The grave clothes were left behind. And my question for us is, that being true, what are we going to do about it? How is that truth going to affect how we live? Not just someday, as awesome as that's going to be, but this day, today, tomorrow, the day to come. Holy Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us in Christ. Lord, we pray that you will give us a fuller understanding of the resurrection. to see Christ at work in us in amazing ways, in ways we couldn't have dreamed or imagined. And may the life of Christ so fill us now that we exude that life and that spirit of transformation, the spirit of love, grace in this world beyond our wildest dreams. We pray this through Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen.